um her friend Sarah Ethel Higgins Jackson will eat also. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Praise Hallelujah. Praise God. Ms. Susan, would you start us this morning with the word yes. of prayer? Yes, sir. Kind Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We are Hallelujah. so grateful for having you in our lives. Continue yes, to teach us to trust you when we yes. can't see the way you are taking us or working things out for us and our family members. We thank you, Father, for your promises. Never go on sale. You will always manifest yourself for each and every one of us. Good people, bad people, everybody. And we so thank you, God. You don't have any special people. Father, you know that we love to eulogize you because you are better than good. And we so thank you, Father. Forgive us for our sin of omission and commission. Prepare our heart and mind to receive your rhema word on this morning. Continue to open doors for the overseer, his family member, and everyone on this line, and we give you the praise with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. And, Father, do not let us, listeners and family members, get any backlashes from this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise God. This is an amazing day. Um, We have so much happening around us, but one thing is for sure, the grace and mercy of God follows us all the days of our life. It doesn't matter how things can go, how things Mm -hmm. can turn. But one thing will not change is the king who is sitting on the right hand of the Father. Amen. Thank you. As uh, we just, like I said last week, uh, when we meditated on this word, that when we open our mouth in prayer, when we open our mouth in praises, the, the angel of the Lord runs before the Lord and writes our name in the book of remembrance. When we open our mouth in praises, our names, every single time, is written down in that book. It's written down so many times. Mm-hmm. The next time you go to the Father saying, Father, I need your help, he's not going to say, who are you? Because he's going to remember you and me because our names are written so many times. Yeah. In that book that he's going to say, ah, Jonathan, ah, Susan, ah, Sarah, because he knows our name. He knows us by name, but now he remembers the times that we open our mouth in praises. And the Bible says that, that, you know, he will fill our mouth with praises. When you open our mouth and, and, and just lift his name, the goodness of God is filled up in our mouth. Isn't that amazing? He fills our mouth with goodness. Hallelujah. I just uh, opened the floor this morning to see if there is any praises that uh, saints have that God has done for you this week. Well, my whole whole crew of 
family, all of my, my sons were here this week because Matt and his family came from um, Texas and along with even the dogs. <laughs> and we had a had a wonderful celebration. They left yesterday morning about five and now they're in they they were just leaving Mississippi about uh seven I think it was seven this morning. Um so they have to spend the night one night to keep going. So but we had a wonderful time and Gail was able to see Matt. I thought she had seen him, but each time she missed him um, before. So that was a blessing for us. Um, true, true, true blessing. So we had a, we yeah, had a, mm-hmm. and Devin is pregnant oh, again. <laughs> so the 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 baby boy will be two in uh, in November. And the new baby will be born in October. So we said uh, everything that came out of your mouth sounded like a praise, except when you talked about the dog. It's praise that the dog is on home. <laughs>
to have a baby um, right at Christmas time, but she she has not like thrown away the daughter's father. She mm. um, she brings her to see him. He's in McDougal right now, um, mm-hmm. and she said they're hoping that he will be getting out soon. Um, but but she she explained his situation and she said it was just one of those where he got caught up with the wrong people and she she stayed in contact with him the whole time he was in by bringing her daughter to see him mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. had said you know that they have conversations on the phone quite a bit that he was worried that once he gets out, he has a charge because of um, uh, child support isn't paid. Mm-hmm. And she said right now it's like close to $60,000 that wow. he mm-hmm. hasn't paid. Jesus. And she said that she has told him that when he gets out, she is dropping those charges. Because she does not want to see him go back in. And she she wants her daughter to have that relationship with him. So I, I just, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'm blown away with the maturity of her, you know, not to, not to go after financial. That's right. Mm-hmm. But but to to mend that emotional bond, yeah, you know, it, it just it, it I I I left out of there, and even she was saying, if there's anything I can do for Proverbs two two six, let me know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is this is what it's all about. That's that's what mm-hmm. the program is about, yeah. mending right. the heart right. and 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 just moving on. Yeah. Mm. So. Praise God. Praise God. I mean, the the thing is, um, there are times that uh, we have no idea what that smile that we get inside the prison means or the hug or mm. the, 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 the kindness that we show when we talk to them. Mm. It just always will have an effect on them. Miss Laurie, you need not have gone to their house, but you did. And God sees your sacrifice of doing mm-hmm. that and blessing them to see the goodness in them. Mm-hmm. And so I praise God for what God is doing. Miss um, Laurie, I also got that uh, gift from uh, Lexi and Teresa yeah. uh, from Florida. And uh, they would not have seen their mother is you were not persistent. Mm-hmm. I was kind of persistent, wasn't I? <laughs> mm-hmm. so you actually took several things on yourself. Yeah. For, for others on the line who may not know this, this mm-hmm. family is in Clearwater, Florida. Mm-hmm. And it takes about like a six or seven hours to get from there to Somerville. And from Somerville, they have another three hours to get to the three or four hours close to to go to the prison. So it nearly is about like eleven to twelve hours of travel, even if they do one one setup, right? 
And the previous time that they came to see their mom after all this, they got five minutes mm-hmm. of that mother's time. And uh, I do not know what that, that grandmother and that, that daughter uh, just like a felt on their way going back after all this. And so God said, hmm, if you have so much of like, a, you know, need to be with your mom, I'm going to make seven, eight hours of your time to spend with your mom hugging and uh, spending day. But in fact, I'm going to put that burden on this lady in Somerville called Laurie. It's just like a make that happen, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, the, everybody, including the grandmother and the daughter, just like said, that's all right. We won't be able to make it. That's perfectly fine. But Laurie said no. Mm-hmm. So she booked the hotel. She put that people there, and she brought them into the prison. Yeah. That's what the healing is all about. This morning, um, any other praise item before we get into the Word? I am glad to be on with you this morning. Amen. It's been a long time. Amen. Just a disclaimer, Ms. Gail, I only have, uh, you know, in your house, uh, a lazy chair. <laughs> It will always be here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. No, we are so glad to be here with you. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, it is another great week for us in five and two trade school. Um, the thing is, uh, it's, it's been a battle the last couple of weeks. Um, because, uh, uh, you know, there were uh, people resisting and uh, not wanting to give the prison. They were fighting to the nail. But it went all the way to the Secretary of State and the governor of North Carolina, who turned that prison over as a surplus. So as of this morning, the prison doesn't even own that property. So the governor of North Carolina declared that property as a surplus property so that they can transfer that over to us. So it's not, it's not new. Um, um, you know, the fight is not new because when we are in the battlefield, the fight is going to be real for sure. But the thing is this, that the God of this universe has already decided to put an end to I do not know who it is that's going to show up in that school. It may be just like a one kid that did not see the love of their father is going to see the love of their father. It's one daughter that just felt like she was abandoned and father says, I'm going to send resources to carry you through this. It may be one mother who cried out and said, I don't know how to send my kid to school. I do not know what that is, but God says, I'm doing all these things, all this sweat and uh, all this, uh, you know, agony and all this pain that uh, every nook and corner can throw is worth it all because I'm going to see that one child, you know, healed. 
that one mother healed, that one father healed. So uh, I'm just like appraising God. And also another thing, this is like almost like in the days of Nehemiah. I had this guy named Bob. He kept calling and calling. And uh, sometimes the, the, during the week we are traveling like this week, we were in Edenton. By the time we came home, it was like at 2.33 in the morning. We're just like in, in full, um, you know, meetings are, are just like all over the place. So I didn't have a chance to talk to this man named Bob. And finally, he said, I'll come to your house. I said, okay, sure, come on over. And so he comes home and he said, he has built prisons in the past. He has built hospitals, like a plural, hospitals uh, in New York, and uh, several commercial buildings. And when he was praying, God impressed on him to go meet with me. And so he just like came to meet me to get like, a, you know, how he can be part of this journey. He said, I don't want any position or anything. God told me to go serve in this project. So I'm here. Tell me what all you need, and I will, I'll be glad to do it. If you want me to clean the floor, I will do that. Um, and, and, and so, and so my, my prayer as we go through this journey, God's going to send more resources like this uh, to see this project through, but I'm praising God this morning for his faithfulness. Uh, to everything that we do. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Any other praise item? All right. I just um, praise God this morning for for how I feel, for healing powers. Um, This time last Sunday, um, I couldn't even bend my knees. They were so Mm. cold and stiff. But today I'm walking without my cone. Um, my cane. Um, I thank God for His healing powers, and Amen. I feel good. And I'm going to church. Um, Amen. God is just so good. You know, He's just so good. Amen. Amen. I just thank Him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God, Miss Brenda. We are just like appraising God for the restoration that He's not only giving to your body, but also to your heart your mind and soul, on how he is just strengthening you um, and, uh, you know, healing uh, every portion. The so, so healing is what, uh, you know, we see in you, Miss Brenda, and we want to see that grow. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. 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 I can't wait until you guys get to Baltimore. Is it going to be where you go in prisons with the, with the families? Yes, we will, Ms. Brenda. Baltimore cannot afford $1 billion spent. Just the city of Baltimore is spending $1 billion a year on prisons and corrections. Not millions, billions. A small state like Maryland cannot afford this. I can't wait to go in there. I'm amazing. Amen. Amen, Ms. Brenda. Go ahead, Ms. Katina. Um, I just want to praise God for just his provisions and just for always showing up and always making a way when we don't even see that there a way is possible. And um, 
I praise him for what he's doing in, in both my parents' lives. But in particular, I'd like to just um, make mention that my dad turned 70 on the 26th of July. And I remember when we were talking about what we were going to do for his 70th birthday, he said, all I would like to do is go to visit my sister, my oldest sister in New York. Mm. And so, you know, we kept trying to figure out how is, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Because of everything that had been going on with my mom's illness and relocating them here to Maryland, it just didn't seem like time was, was going to allow that. But God had another plan. And um, not only did were we able to, um, God provided a way for us to be able to take my dad to New York last Sunday to visit his oldest sister. His sister from South Carolina, along with her daughter, actually came up to Maryland, and they were able to join us on the trip. Mm. So on last Sunday, God made it, worked it out, whereas all of my dad's siblings were able to be in one place. And we were able to go and and have lunch together. So with my dad and his three sisters, the three that's remaining. And Mm. I'm just so thankful that if I don't get to see anything else, I got a chance to see my dad at one of the most happiest and joyful times that I think I can ever recall in my Mm. almost 50 years of my life. And and I know that that was because of God. You know, he Mm. was able, and his sister has... um, She's early onset Alzheimer's, so you know we don't we don't know when we might be able to see her again, or if she'll even remember her siblings whenever they do see her again. But when we walked, when we got up to the door of her apartment, and and she opened, she was like Georgie. She actually remembered, and my dad just looked like he was just so relieved that he was able to see that moment. And I just thank God for just being a part of that and making the sacrifice to drive up in one day, up and back, so he can visit mm. his sister. So God is so good. Just Amen. To share that praise report. Amen. I mean, it's like almost like Mr. Tina, the desire of the righteous. What his desire was a righteous desire to just be with his sister. And God says, I will make it happen. Yes, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Any other praise items before we go into the word? The conference has been muted. Perfect. Love and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. God, if you heard all the praises this morning, you heard all the concerns and heaviness, and uh, Father God, you are still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This morning, as we come before your throne of grace, God, let your hands be spread all over this nation, all over the the families that are going to church this morning, all the pastors especially the people on also on this line, Father God, but I just like so hunger and thirst for your word. God, satisfy our thirst. God, the Bible says like you will pour the water upon the dry land. You will, Father God, source our souls with your word. God, we pray this morning that you will do that in a special way. 
for us. And uh, God, I just pray that you will bless uh, me this morning as I speak your word. Father God, let your word uh, become real for every one of us, Father God, this morning. One more time. In Jesus' name. Today morning, I want to talk about healing. Healing of hearts, healing of our nation, healing of our community, healing within our family, healing within our finances. Healing is needed to, in order for us to enjoy the fullness. Can you imagine, like, there are times that we fall sick or our, our arms get hurt, right? And then uh, you're not able to lift your arm. Only then you realize how much that arm has been useful. Until that point, we don't even think about it. Until you get like a cold, you don't even think, and I don't even think about what this life is like without having cold or a headache, right? So only when we go through that process, we just tend to see the goodness. But here, this morning, what I want to talk about is that how this nation of America needs healing, that's going to come only from his people. If this nation needs to be healed, that healing cannot come uh, outside of this circle of God's people coming together. Right? The Bible says in Second Chronicles 7.14, we're just going to linger on this one verse for the next couple of weeks. It's a very well-known promise. It is a promise that God gave to his people, his people, not to everyone. This promise is not for anyone and everyone. This promise is for his people. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. The Bible says he will restore their land. I believe very strongly. There is a very uh, 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 strong correlation of, like, why the the rebelliousness and uh, you know, uh, going away from God and uh, restoration and healing and all these things just like a jumbled up and come back and forth. I just wanted to unravel that a little bit to see uh, some of the patterns that we are going through right now. And uh, if we look at the Bible, right, <clears throat> the, the Old Testament where the first five books are talking about the children of Israel spending 400 years in the land of Egypt, right? And they come out of it, and they go to, um, uh, uh, you know, their promised land. They have gone through the splitting of the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho has come down. The Red Sea, uh, uh, you know, experience uh, is still very fresh and alive. But there is a cycle uh, that the children of Israel went through, which is very similar to the cycles that we are going through even today. We read 
in the book of Judges, the book of Judges actually spans 400 years of timeline in the life of the children of Israel. For 400 years, they spent in Egypt. Then they come out, and there was a 400 years that the book of Judges covers where there is a pattern that we see. When they get like a God giving them something uh, that they were not able to get on their own, own, they start to worship God. And there was just like an outburst of revival that happens, and people are happy. They're just doing good, and the temple is good. Everything is in good condition, right? Worship. Then slowly, because God is good with them, and they become complacent with God, Going to church become like a chore. Going to a prayer meeting or a Bible study becomes a a drag. And then what happens is that whatever they were doing with joy becomes a religion for them. They just have to do it, right? Once we get to that place, that's like the stage, stage two, that we become very complacent, and the rebelliousness starts to creep in. Oh, I, I, I can just like skip the church today. I can skip the Bible. It's just one week. I can, I can just take one cup of wine. It's okay. I, I can just buy this lottery. This is $1 billion. It's just like a, if I get this money, I can just like use this to give it to some nonprofit or a church. We just tend to just like a... Whatever that we believed and cherished, oh, just this one movie that has just this one scene that is obscene. Ah, I can just like, you know, move away from that point. And then, you know, we, we start to just like make a lot of provisions when we move from worship to religion. Then we start to give room for the rebelliousness, right? That's like, you know, the movement, that's stage two. We move from being worshipped to being rebellious. Now, the third stage, God's, God's been very clear from the very beginning that if you stay away from me, if you start to worship the foreign God, if you start to do things that, that is not pleasing before you, you're going to get the wrath upon yourself, that God's judgment comes upon his people. And when the God's judgment comes upon his people, it's too hard for the people to just like a resist or fight God. They get like a thrown into the hands of Assyrians or Babylonians or uh, even the first time into Egypt. Egypt was all because of the rebelliousness and that God allowed they're, 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 they're his own people to just like a go through because of the judgment that he passes on. That's like a stage three. And then stage four, people cry out to God. They cry out to God in desperation. And in that desperation, God hears. He's a God of second chances. He's a God who just like knows to love his people like no other God. And he sees his children go through the struggle. And he listens to their cry. And the stage five comes into play. 
that delivers them from the hands of their enemies. It's a, it's a viscous cycle. Once God delivers them from that cycle, then they feel so good. All of a sudden, they just feel the relief that has come into them. The, the family is being restored. The nation being restored. Whatever was like too hard for them, they don't need to eat the garlic and onions anymore like how they ate in Egypt. They can eat manna. They can eat quail. They can eat good food that they can plant and enjoy. Then all that becomes worship. Then they go through a, a complacent state of stage two. The religiosity takes over, and then rebelliousness takes over. Then from rebelliousness, the judgment gets thrown, and then they cry out, and the God rescues. These five stages have been repeated again and again. If you read the book of Judges, seven times the children of Israel go through them. And when they come to the end of the book of Judges, they tell God, God, really the problem that we are facing, the seven times the problems that we faced, this, this cycle of rebelliousness, judgment, and everything, it's because we don't have a king. And so God says, okay, you think that the king can solve your problem? Then he allows the king to come and uh, the king David and Solomon, Saul, David, Solomon, and so on. And then they go through the same kind of cycle, worship, rebellion, punishment, cry out, rescue. Again happens in the lives of these children. And then, you know, the children, they go through such an extent, God just had to abolish the kingdom, first the northern kingdom in the hands of Assyria in 722 B.C. The ten northern kingdoms get wiped out. The southern kingdom still was holding good. And the book of Isaiah was written, it was just like I told, how many times do I have to tell you to be careful? Don't fall into the cycle of five. And they fall again. In 586 B.C., they were taken as captives into Babylon. And now, the thing is, we may think, ah, my goodness, when will these children of Israel learn from their mistake? Why would they not cry out to God? Why would they not cry out to God before they get judged and punished? Why would they go through this, right? Let me tell you this morning. The very same thought came to a couple of guys in Psalm 85. The sons of Korah know that God is a God of, you know, peace and rescue. And so they talk about, when you get a chance, I want you to read Psalm 85 where it says, Lord, you poured out your blessing on your land, you restored the fortune of Israel, you forgave the guilt of your people, yes, you covered all their sins, you held back your fury, you kept back your blazing anger. They, they just knew that God was, and God is, 
and God will be a God of peace and restoration. Right? This morning, I just am trying to tell that this is not a story of Israel alone. It is a story of America. Did you know that we in this nation has rebelled against God? So much so, God sent his judgment over his people. And when God sent his judgment over his people, they cried out to God. And in America, forget Europe, forget any other country, just in America, we have seen 10 revivals so far. That means we have gone through this cycle more than the children of Israel did in the days when the book of Judges was written. 1734, the Great Awakening Revival started by Jonathan Edwards, one of the pastors. He saw how much America was just like going through such, um, you know, atrocities and the wickedness and the fruitless labor right, that was happening. And right when uh, they, they just had the fire come down, wild fire came, and, and there was just like a people were suffering, and they were crying out to God. And uh, God listened to the cry of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Um, and they, there was just like a, 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 a outburst of revival happened in America. 900,000 American colonists personally heard Whitfield's preach. There was a moment of joy. And then, as we go through, 25 years goes by. We forget everything that happened in 1800s. They forgot that this happened. And then we go through the same kind of a cycle. And the children of God cries out to him. At this point, America was only 5.3 million people. Today we have 320 million people. But one in 15 in America, you know, listened to James McCready. And those guys just saw the revival explode in this nation. In fact, uh, you know, the, the church grew, the evangelical church grew uh, and uh, from 350,000 people to 3 million church membership came. 25 years goes by, we go back to the same cycle. And, and then God just like allows another major catastrophe happen to this nation, and people go through another 5, 10, 15 years of like a, a, the, the, the burning of their rebelliousness. 1857, in New York, Jeremiah, one of the businessmen, cries out on the street of uh, New York, then people start to pray, and the businessman revival happened. Then in 1861, the Civil War revival disrupted. 
19, I mean, 1875, the urban revival, D.L. Moody, started there. 1905, the revival of revivals that happened in the Welsh. And for, and during that time, nearly 100 million people, estimated 100 million people or more, were living and, uh, at that time. And, uh, one million of those people just on those two years gave their life to Christ in America. I'm following Azusa Street Revival in 1906, the post-war revival in 1947, and in 1960s and early 70s, the charismatic revival that broke out. Mid-90s, we have another revival uh, they call it as a Melbourne Revival, Brownsville Revival, Modesto Revival. I mean, this nation has gone through enough atrocities to their people. And uh, God is disgusted with their atrocity. And uh, he has passed on judgment over this people. But you know what is the saddest part? This is the first time in the history of America. 35 years has gone by and we have done enough atrocities to the people around us and around the nations and there is no revival has come. Isn't that sad that uh, God is sending his punishment and his judgment, you think, the corona was a, a mistake. COVID is a mistake. No. God is sending a message for America to wake up and not go through another hard push from God. And America hasn't woken up this time. America is just like a going through how they, they were complacent and start to treat church as another media and that uh, they don't, they equate church to another media, like a social media, Facebook and Instagram and church are today very equal because we are passing on each of them without any seriousness. And this morning I'm here with a cry in my heart to say, God, we cannot afford to have your hands push this nation one more time. Yes, we will get the revival when we cry out. Why is America not crying out in spite of every warning that God has sent to his people? This morning, my prayer for you and me is this. Just like what the sons of Korah did, we need to do it before we see the wrath of God poured upon this nation, before we see another major catastrophe just take over this nation, we need to go to God in prayer. If we look back, when the nations turned back on God, God never, you know, allowed them to prosper. And this morning, Second Chronicles 7 to 14, it's all about context, right? This verse that was written, and I want to set the context of like a why 
this verse is so real for us this morning, but also when the original text was written, right, there was a seven years that Solomon took uh, to build a temple on Mount Moriah, right? And he dedicated this temple. It was like a big deal. And, uh, and Solomon was kneeling on a small platform uh, as, uh, you know, as, as this moment was coming to an end, the church is built. And he was crying out to God. So if you get a chance, I want you to also read Second Chronicles, you know, chapter 6, where you can hear Solomon's cry and Solomon's prayer. Solomon was just crying out to God. And uh, the fire came down. That's what Second Chronicles 7, when it starts, it says, after Solomon finished praying, the fire came down. The glory of God filled the temple. The, the, the place was just like a buzzing with the presence of God. That's the worship moment that when God just allows his presence to show up, people are just, you know, in, in the height of their worship. They sacrificed 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. It was a festival. Everybody was celebrating for eight days. And after the festival was over, people all left for their own villages and towns. And once the roads were empty, and Solomon probably returned to his bed, returned to his palace, but his mind was still bubbling with excitement of what just happened. And they to feasting and rejoicing over that beautiful temple, right? And that night, while he was still asleep, and he was just trying to sleep, the Bible says one night, one of those nights when Solomon was in his, uh, in, in his fullness of heart, the Lord appeared to Solomon, verse 12 of Second Chronicles chapter 7. It says, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer. And I've chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifice. At, at times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. He's referring to the days of Elijah. That, that no rain falls or commands grasshopper to devour your crops or send plagues among you. He's reminding Solomon of the ten plagues that uh, uh, that uh, the children of Egypt experienced. Then if all those things, I allow this to happen, right? Then if my people, that's when the 14th verse says, if my people who are called by my name, when that thing happens, when that devouring happens, when that peace is taken, when their land is under disruption, when they are going through all this, yeah, uh, you know, the sickness and pain and uh, uh, all those things, when those things happen, right, around them, they hear the news of gas prices going up. They hear the news this week in Colombia, South America. There was a lightning that came 
and stuck a gas um, tank. Uh, it's not like a gas tank, like what you're thinking, like a, a, a gas tank that was on a, a truck. This was like an oil well just got hit with the lightning and the fire just blew up and it's expected to spread around 200 miles from the place of, of the, the, uh, the, the fire coming down. And uh, the Bible says, those are the kind of moments if my people, COVID hit, millions of people die, if my people at that point in time were called by my name, do these four things, right? humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. If they can do these four things in their life, when they hear the bad news come around when they hear the unrest in the family, when they hear the marriage is going through a burden, when they hear the children are rebellious against them, when they hear the heartache is very heavy, when they go through a financial struggle, when they go through things that they cannot control, then if my people who are called by my name do these four things. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. My eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place, for I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever, and I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. In fact, God is just like a pouring his heart to Solomon and telling him, look, Solomon, if you and your people, those are my people, call out, humble themselves before me, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will hear their land. It is always a problem. How do you define his people? Who are his people? Jesus answers them in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. Jesus was preaching to his disciples, and probably some people were there. It was crowded. It was around him. And some, someone comes and tells Jesus, your mother and your brother are standing outside, and they want to speak to you. Then Jesus pointing out to his followers and said, these people, the people that were sitting around him, he said, they are my family. Anybody who obeys my father in heaven and does his will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Can you imagine this morning, the only qualification to become his people is this, that we obey 
the Father's command. We obey the Father in heaven and does what he tells us to do. And we become the brothers and sisters and his mother. That's what the Bible says. And uh, there is no such thing as a, like a, you know, hidden treasures when it comes to my people. Jesus has been very clear about it. My people called by my name. There is no secret service Christians that Christ is asking for. Call by my name. Sometimes we become ashamed of the Christ that we carry. Sometimes we become silent when we go to work. Sometimes we don't take this Christ so seriously that we actually bypass and go to the mode of religiosity in this life and start to rebel against the God of this universe. Those are the moments God is saying, if you are ashamed of my name, you don't call yourselves as as a Christ follower or a Christian when something bad happens, then God is saying, I will be ashamed of him when I return in glory with all my angels. Mark 8, 38 says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and immortal generation, I will be ashamed of him when I return in glory. If my people who are called by my name is not living to the standards that I call them to live, then I will be ashamed of them as well, just as they are ashamed of me. God will not punish a nation because of the wickedness of the wicked people. Let me say this again. God will not punish a nation like America because of the wickedness that America does. Okay? But he will punish America if his people, the one called to be righteous, do wicked things, and he's going to punish this nation. And that's what we are very close to. There is no big difference between the, the wicked and the righteous in America today. We tend to merge very close with them. We tend to take everything so light, and we are willing to give up our rights. We are willing to give and, and stay silent when something bad happened to us. And people around us start to throw the name of Christ under the bus. They start to treat the church like a prostitute. We stay silent right now because we don't want to be the one that is going to boldly say what you said is wrong. The line is very thin. And God is saying, if you are my people, you will get agonized. If you are my people, the, the, the righteous anger will just bubble up in your stomach. The next time when someone talks about your Christ, you cannot take that for granted. You and I need to raise up our hands towards the heavens to see 
that those kind of movements cannot rule over the Christian faith in this nation. God gives four things that we should do before the healing begins. The number one thing God says, if you want the healing to come in your marriage, if you want your dream to be restored, you want your body to heal and restore, you want your finances to restore, here are the four things that I want you to do. Forget what the world does. This is not a message for the mayor or the governor of this city. This is not the message for the president of this nation. This is a message for his people. This promise is only for his people. A lot of times I hear the theologians talk about how this is only for Israel. No, this is for his people who are called by his name. To humble themselves. Admit that I'm not in control. That humility is a first step for the healing and restoration of your life and my life. You don't come to God in, in, in any unrespectful way and demand or argue with God. I just uh, heard this preacher talk about this one time. He, he was praying and asking God's presence to be felt in his life, right? So he goes to the closet, and he locks his closet up, and he starts to pray, and pray and pray and pray and ask for God's presence and praying, praying, praying for one hour. The one hour went by. He didn't feel the presence of God. He didn't see God's face. He didn't see anything move. So the second hour, what he did is he was trying to put a guilt on God, saying, God, I was doing ministry here. I saved this many people. You should be showing up for me. The one hour, the next one hour, he was just like putting a lot of guilt on God. No sign of God. The third hour, he starts to rebuke the enemy. He was thinking that maybe the enemy is just present in this room, and that may be why God is not coming. So he was binding the enemy in that room. And then three hours goes by, nothing happened. Then the fourth hour, he started to become intellectual with God. Oh, maybe you're not coming because I did this or I did that. Oh, maybe I needed to do this. But after four hours go by, I heard this pastor say, I was in the mode of crying because I have tried everything possible. I cannot feel the presence of God. And I just cried and cried and cried and asked God to show up. And finally, I heard God speak to me after four hours. And this is what God spoke to me immediately. He told me to switch off the lights. He just wanted to see very quietness to come. The fan was making a noise that asked me to shut off the fan. Then he said, shut off the music. I said, I don't want this entertainment and all these things. Shut all those things off. And in that quietness, when nothing was there, it was between him and God. God clearly spoke to this man. 
You know, when that happened, it happened. And this man finally gave up his pride and thought that he knew better than God. And he was coming up with a process and formulas. God cannot be boxed into any of those formula. The pride is a number one enemy to God. The humility starts when we recognize that the God of this universe is in full control. But at the same time, this morning, if you feel like you you don't have that humility in your life, don't pray for humility, okay? Don't ask God to make you humble because if he does that, we cannot handle Humility is a choice. Being humble is a choice. God doesn't do it to, to God doesn't, you know, uh, want to humble you and me if, if, if uh, we don't take that choice on our own. He will, he will show and pull the, ro- the rope and we will fall and we will start to become humble. But that is the worst kind of way to experience the humility. Okay. But here, here, let me, quickly talk about what is humility? What is what does it look like? How do I develop that characteristic without God telling me or God pushing me into it? Number one, when we confess our sins and accept Christ as a Savior in our life, that is a very first step in the pathway to becoming ready for God and ready to be humbling ourselves. Number two, if someone does something wrong to you, you be the first one to forgive that person. If if we don't do that one, we are prideful in our walk. If something is not right and someone's just like taking a shot at you, you don't want to carry that. The, The person who carries the humility will be the first one to forgive that person. Number three, when we are treated badly, be quiet and don't react. Especially when it is a false accusation. I'm not saying you have to be like a doormat, but at the same time, that the tantrum that we can throw at people can cause the, 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 the things that we do back to someone after being untreated, fairly, uh, unfairly treated, is more damaging than exactly what they did to you and me. So, number one, we need to give our life to Christ. Number two, you know, forgive someone quickly uh, when, when something wrong happens. Number three, when treated unfairly, don't react. Go to God in prayer. When there was a match between Holyfield and the Mike Tyson happened. Mike Tyson was losing, and at the worst scenario of his day, worst time of his day, he just chewed Holyfield's ears and threw it on the floor. But you know what? Holyfield never reacted to it. He was very quiet. He went to God in prayer. If something is bothering you, if you're unfairly treated this morning, quiet yourself before God. And he will take care of the unfairness that happened to you. 
The Bible says the vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So don't react to when, when you're treated unfairly. Number four, look for ways to serve others. How can I just like a walk around and just like a looking and telling God, God, I just want to help somebody. You walk on an airport and say, God, I want to help somebody. I want to encourage someone. You're going on a bus or a, uh, a train and you're sitting next to someone. Pray and ask God, God, I just wanted to be an encouragement to this guy who's sitting next to me. God, I just want to help somebody. If you have that hard attitude in you, God will send people that you can help. And number five, don't think too much about yourself. It's like a thinking less of yourself and more of God. This is a big deal for God. Being humble is a big deal for God because he can work with us when we get to this point of, of this state of mind. Literally, we're telling God, you are in control. We are allowing us to be molded, and we are telling God that we, you know, we, we are not in charge of this situation right now. Right? But the Bible says that when we give up our state like that, the, the God of this universe says that he will guide us when we are humble, when we get to that point and you're looking for a direction for your life, you're looking for what's next. God, I've done everything that I can. I don't know what's next. And God says in, in Psalms 25, verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. I don't know what you're praying for this morning, but if you're humble yourself, before God, the Bible says, he will show us the way. God's not going to give direction to the one who thinks he already knows his direction. Right? He's going to give it to the one who's humbling himself. Number two, God will bless those who humble themselves. Isaiah says in 66 verse 2, I will bless those who humble themselves. Humble who have humble and contrite heart. He's not going to bless the ego trippers. He's going to bless the people who are humble. And number three, God gives grace to the humble. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 6, he will resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. We shouldn't need any more reasons to just like a figure out why should I be humble this morning. We need grace more than anything. We need the power to change things. We need God. Can you imagine if, if God is resisting you and me because of my heart of being prideful? It's almost like a boxing match that we have with God. And we're not too big to withstand the resistance of God. And that's why this morning God is teaching each and every one of us to stay humble, to stay on his feet, to give the control back to him. And also, if you need grace to change something today, 
you you and I better just like a stay quiet and and just like a not resist God in this path. Number four, God says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Right? And he embraced to stay in that way. God says, I know how to lift my my son's head, my daughter's head. And here's the fifth reason why we need to stay humble before God. The Bible says, I will give you deep rest. When we are prideful, our stress level goes up. Right? But at the same time, the Bible says in Matthew chapter eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and I will restore deep rest to your soul. This morning, I do not know how many of us in this line need that rest. But God says, I will give you a deep rest for your soul. Here are the things that I want you to do. I talked about the characteristics of being humble this morning. And when we follow to be, that characteristic is all over our lifestyle, then God is going to give us the the much-needed rest. God is going to lift us up when there is nobody around us. He's going to look at us. God is going to look at us and lift us up. He will show grace in your life and my life and give strength to accomplish what we need to accomplish. He's going to bless you with the food, bless you with the fruitful relationship. He's going to bless you with a family that is going to be, you know, expanded to the next generation, to the next generation with the love of God. And then he will make sure that you don't fall apart and he guides you in the, in the path of righteousness. There is a beautiful song that says, Lord, I need you now. In the song, it says, Lord, I come, I confess, bobbing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You are the one that guides my heart. The Lord that I worship today is the only one who can guide us. The song is so beautiful. It says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Where where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I'm free. Holiness is Christ in me this morning. If you are running around restless and you feel like things are out of control, God is saying, be still and know that I am the Lord. Know that I have a full control. Length and breadth, height and width is still under my control. And God is saying to you and me, humble yourself and he will give you the desires of your heart.
And as we go through this next couple of weeks, we will talk through the four characteristics that God is expecting out of you and me. How do we just like go to God in prayer, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways? God is going to speak to you and me in a special way. But this morning, know this for sure, it's a cycle. We are in a cycle, and God is going to heal this nation if only we start to recognize the fall and start to go before God, just like what Psalm 85 says, God is a God of grace and mercy. I do not know what your situation is, but God says that if you can turn yourself into becoming more humble, then your situation is no longer yours. It is not between you and your problem. It is me in the middle of your problem. Ms. Katina. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Cyril. <clears throat> Excuse me. I tell you, when you talk about a word, it's tailor-made for you. <laughs> this one was definitely tailor-made for me today, as I'm quite sure others also feel such a powerful word, healing for, and, once, and, and we, we pray for healing every single day. We go into our, our prayer closet, we communicate with God, and we talk to him on whatever level that we're doing it, and we're asking God to heal us, heal us of our infirmities, heal our hearts, heal our families, heal our communities, heal our finances our children, co-workers, our nation. This nation can only be healed. All of the things that we pray and we ask him to heal can only be healed by those who belong to God, those who belong to him that cry out to him with a heart for him to heal the land, heal the situation, heal the circumstance, heal us. His words clearly state that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven and he will forgive their sin and heal their land. God promised in his word, he promised to restore, he promised to forgive, and he promised to hear, and he promised to heal. May not necessarily be in that order, but he made those promises. He said, I will do these things for you, and he is a God that he shall not lie. So we've got to humble ourselves, and we've got to Pray, seek his face, and turn from wicked ways. And from the beginning of time, Pastor Cyril talked about all these different cycles that we've been going through, through biblical times, you know, through modern day times. It's this cycle and this pattern that seems like we just can't get away from. We become complacent. We, become, we lack zeal. We've moved from worship to rebellion. 
But the one thing, we, it seems like we're constantly changing, constantly changing, going through this cycle, in and out, in and out, in and out. But the one thing that is not changing, and that is God's wrath and his judgment that will fall upon the people when we keep picking up these same things and we keep getting back into these same patterns, these same cycles, these same modes of complacency and disobedience and rebellion. But even in that, even in his wrath and in his judgment, he still is merciful to us. He still allows us time and time again to be able to come before him and repent and humble ourselves. And he still hears us. He still forgives us. He allows us second chances. He listens to our cries. He listens to our voice. And then he swoops in every time. And he restores. He heals. And when we learn not to get back into this cycle and not rebel upon God, he always shows up. He always restores. He always heals. How quickly do we forget once he brings us out of one situation, we fall back into the cycle yet again. As God's people think, we can no longer afford to keep going back into the same cycle over and over again. We can no longer continue to sleepwalk through this life anymore. We cannot take his commands in vain. I thought about the scripture, Pastor Cyril, as you were talking, and I thought about why we can no longer afford to sleepwalk and why we can no longer afford to just take him in vain because his word says that he's a jealous God. Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10 says, you shall not, we shall not bow down ourselves to idols nor worship them. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing. He brings judgment. He brings punishment. Not only to us, not only to our land, but to our children that sin, the parent, the children of the parents that sin. And not even unto this generation, but second, third, fourth generation down. So that's why we can't afford to keep getting into this vicious cycle over and over again because we may not see the wrath, but our children and our children's children and their children will one day see this wrath. It is imperative that we wake up that we do as the scripture says, that we humble ourselves, that we pray, that we seek his faith, that we turn from our evil ways. We cannot afford to just keep doing life as usual. If COVID didn't teach us anything else, he, he taught us that. I feel like COVID is just another plague that God placed upon the land just like the, when he reminded Solomon about the plagues that were upon the land back then. He will bring us out, saints, but only to a special people. And who are these people? Who are the people that he's talking about? He said, my people. Who are those people? Anyone who obeys the Father's command and do what he tells us to do. Are we obeying him? Are we following 
his direction, even when it seems like it's unorthodox, even when it seems like we don't even understand what he's asking us to do, even when it seems like it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't have to make sense. We just have to obey. If you obey his command and do what he tells you to do, and you are his people, we're the people that he's talking about that can humble ourselves and pray and seek his faith. We're the ones. The healing upon this land is dependent upon us, those who will obey. Are you living the standard that God has called you to live? Are you willing to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord in your life? Are you willing to stand up for what you know is right? Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to allow him to use you in any manner that he wishes to, even when you don't understand? If you answered yes, you are the people that he's calling to pray. If you want healing to come, your family, your community, this nation, your finances, your marriage, your children, your job, any of those things, you fill in the, in the blank. The first thing that you must do is humble yourself. You have got to turn away from prideful ways, prideful thinking, prideful things that we harbor and we hold in our hearts. It has to go. There's no room for it there. No healing can come from pride. We've got to humble ourselves. We're not in control. We have to just understand that, know that, live that. We are not in control. But what does that really look like? What is, what is letting go and letting God not being in control look like? We have to accept Christ as our Savior. When we're wrong, can you forgive first? Can you apologize first? Can you be so not quick to react when you're feeling upset and angry and betrayed? Can you serve others? Can you look for ways always, constantly, every day for an opportunity to serve? Because if we're his hands and feet and we're saying that he is omnipotent and he's omnipresent, then that means that he's always working and he's always working through us. So we should constantly be looking for ways to serve others, to be him, to be his hands and his feet, to allow him to use us in the capacity that he wants to use us. Are you willing to be selfless and not selfish? What are some of the characteristics of, of humility? Besides those things that I just mentioned, you know, if you're humble, God said that he will bless those who humble themselves. He will bless you. If you can turn away from your prideful ways and accept that you're not in control and humble yourself before him, he's going to bless you. He's going to bless your family, your finances, bless your marriage, bless your, your, your neighbors. He's going to bless you. Those things that you are praying for, he's going to bless you when you go humbly. God gives grace to the humble. Grace that is sufficient unto today. Grace that is sufficient in your circumstances. Grace that is sufficient in everything that you need unto today. If you humble yourself, he will exalt you. He will lift your head when you feel like you, your head wants to be hung low. 
He will lift you up. He will build you up. He will strengthen you in the midst of adversity if we can humble ourselves before him. And God will give us deep rest for our souls when we just humble ourselves and let go and just know that he is God. Be still. Know that he's there. Know that he's listening. Know that he hears your cries. Know that he hears your voice. But go humbly. Humble yourself, saints. And he will give you the, de- the desires of your heart if you just trust him. Turn away from pride. Seek his face. And let him do the work. Pastor Cyril. Amen. Amen. As, as uh, Ms. Catino was talking about, I was thinking, when we get to this place of just like understanding these four things that God is asking us to do, if we get to that point, uh, and we are going to experience something that we have not experienced before. And that's the promise God has told us. So I'm so, um, you know, uh, looking forward to see, like, uh, you know, how God is going to use the series on prayer in changing our life. Uh, every one of them is just so needed for us for this moment in time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for the communion this morning. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. God, show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that you are, we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid for covers us for all time and our desire is to live for you. As we take this bread this morning, representing your life it's broken for us. We remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and your unmerited favor. Thank you for your death that gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. Let's go ahead and take the bread.